The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Some kind of love I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to wish each of you a happy, prosperous, safe, and healthy New Year. 2011 is just a couple of days old now, but we're already having a lot of exciting things to tell you, a lot of things going on in the news and the markets. Uh, I think 2011 is going to be a very eventful year. Uh, We're going to get some ideas, of course, today and later uh, in the year as to uh, what uh, these events might be that we can look forward to. We want to be prepared as best we can, of course, uh, for whatever comes our way. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and for telling our friends, uh, telling your friends all about it because it's because of you that we are now the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel by quite a comfortable margin, I might add, and we're very proud of that. Of course, we want to thank our corporate sponsors because without them, this show would not be financially viable. For the first hour of this show, they are Crocodile Gold, Gold Bullion Development, Cobra Resources, Brigus Gold and Palangio Exploration. Well, we've lined up a large number of very interesting and exciting guests over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and beginning in the third week of this month, we will go to a three-hour format. We started out with one hour back in March of 2009. We're going to a three-hour format on the third week of January. Uh, our show will begin at 2 o'clock Eastern Time um, or 11 o'clock Pacific and go to 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific Time. The reason we are going to three-hour format is simply because of the show's popularity. We are, as I say now, the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel by quite a comfortable margin. Uh, it isn't because of me, that's for sure. Uh, if you listen to what I have to say, I think I'd put you all to sleep in about, well, probably before two hours are up. But what makes this show so popular are two things, I think. First of all, our guests, they're extremely interesting and I think relevant to the problems each of us are facing in today's very trying market uh, and environment that we're living in. How to preserve our wealth at a time when government is really going after it, as Lieutenant 
General Boykin told us a few weeks ago, America is sliding into what, for all intents and purposes, looks more and more like a communist state. Others uh, have a slightly different take on it, including yours truly. They see America evolving more into a fascist state with large corporate interests owning the system and causing the masses of people uh, to essentially be uh, enslaved. Well, call it what you want. There is no doubt that we are moving towards collectivism by the state and its rich banking friends who are either either through a taxation scheme or through inflation and destruction of our currency robbing us of of our private property in one way or another, taking away our personal freedoms and responsibility. Even more importantly, I think, is freedom and responsibility. Personal freedom, personal responsibility, they were the basic building blocks of our republic. With changes taking place slowly, very slowly, as uh, General Boykin pointed out, like the frog cooking slowly in the kettle, most people are unaware of what is going on. But those of us have been around for a while, and I've been around for 63 years, I can uh, remember when things were quite a bit different in America, when personal liberty and personal responsibility were a much bigger part of the emphasis. Now everybody wants to look to someone else and blame someone else for their problems and look to someone else to bail them out. Well, that's one reason. I think our our guests have been very helpful in in helping us see what's going on and preparing ourselves for what's going on. The second thing I think that makes our show so popular is that we do have a roadmap and some answers for helping people survive and even thrive against these assaults against us by our government, by uh, our assaults on personal liberty, uh, freedom, and wealth. The foundation upon which this show is built is free market economics, an understanding of how markets really work as opposed to the views of markets that are self-serving, the ones we hear every day on the mainstream media, the ideas that we get from Washington. It's really raw propaganda, really. It's very, very well done, I think, very slick. I think they have Americans believing that what they see on the mainstream media is the truth. Uh, well, sometimes it is, but many times it's... it's uh, it's really half-truths and innuendo and lies, outright lies in some cases. Um, we want to be able to look at history and try to figure out and understand what's going on now. And with respect to history, our special guest today is Ian Gordon. Uh, I consider him an economic historian. He's been a financial guy. Uh, he, has, he has raised a lot of capital for the mining industry, uh, a stockbroker, uh, basically an institutional broker. He's now devoting his full time to writing an excellent newsletter that's available to all of you uh, who would like to subscribe to it. Uh, Ian has really looked at, uh, at, at, as I say, at the history of global history and global finances and the markets over many years. Uh, the last time Ian was on our show, he predicted that we would see a Dow of 1000 and a gold price of $4,000 before this bear market in stocks ends. Well, now, you know, we've had a pretty good run in, the bull, in, in, uh, in stocks and in commodities, and it doesn't look too much like Ian is right at this point in time. Certainly, the trends are running against that deflationary trend that he's been telling us about. Uh, but we're going to be talking, talking to Ian a little bit later and seeing where he stands now in his Kondratiev cycle. Uh, deflationary approach and, and, and really pick his brains and find out what he's thinking right now. In a few minutes, uh, after we come back from our first commercial break, I'm going to be talking to David Wolfen. David is the president of Coral Gold. That's a company that is a, that was actually last uh, season a sponsor to this show. 
It's a company that I have in my newsletter. It's a recommendation of mine with uh, some 3 million ounces of gold resourced and a company that's uh, with those ounces right in the middle of some of the most prosperous gold-producing regions in the United States in Nevada. I think this is a company that you're going to want to pay some attention to and certainly learn more about. Uh, about it. Roger Wiegand will be joining me at about 3 o'clock Eastern Time. He may be listening in on some of my discussion with Ian Gordon. Um, and then Roger will be with me uh, the second half of the second hour as well. As soon as this show is over today, uh, my wife and I are going to be heading off to Washington to meet with the friends of Ron Paul and Rand Paul to celebrate the swearing in of both of those men into their respective jobs as America's lawmakers. Ron Paul will uh, be returning to Congress for umpteenth time. He's been reelected time and time again, even though he does things that are not supposed to get him reelected. Somehow he runs against conventional wisdom, just speaks out the truth as he sees it, and people keep returning him to office. And now his son is a senator from the state of Kentucky. Uh, I do expect to have Ron Paul uh, as a guest on this show in the not-too-distant future. And I'm also looking forward, very possibly, to talking to, to a Congressman Dennis Kucinich from Ohio. Well, you might be wondering, uh, given my libertarian uh, free market views, why I would want Dennis Kucinich as a, uh, as a guest on the show. Well, it's interesting that Dennis and Ron Paul have worked together, or at least have been on the same sides on many foreign policy issues, uh, certainly on economics, the two men are quite a ways apart. But now Congressman Kucinich has reportedly introduced legislation of his own to end the Federal Reserve Bank. And, of course, Ron Paul has been, issuing, has been uh, uh, introducing legislation every single time he's been elected to Congress to end the Federal Reserve. Now more and more people are finding that a palatable or a very uh, enticing idea. So... Uh, Dennis Kucinich, though, has a very much different take on things. He would like to see, as I understand it, the uh, Congress having the uh, ability to print money uh, and to create the money supply. Well, I think that could be a disaster, and certainly Ron Paul would be looking towards doing something on a more free market-orientated basis, let the markets decide what we use as a medium of exchange. Uh, that would be, I'm quite sure, Ron's approach. But I think it would be very interesting to have both men on this show, possibly together, or maybe not. We may have uh, perhaps Dennis Kucinich on first if we can get him on, and I think we can, and then Ron Paul afterwards to, uh, to give his view of Dennis's view and, and where Ron thinks we need to go. Of course, Ron Paul has talked about in the past, uh, on this show, he's talked about uh, the need to let the markets decide or to let gold and silver or other mediums of exchange uh, let the free market decide whether or not or to compete with fiat currency. As it is now, of course, we're forced under law to use paper money. We're not allowed to use gold and silver as a medium of exchange. Well, uh, as I mentioned, today's main guest will be Ian Gordon. We'll be talking to Ian, and we're going to go to commercial break in a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask the engineer for a couple of extra minutes because I do want to give my good friend and partner, Chen Lin, uh, a little bit of a say about where he thinks we're heading as we start this new year. Welcome, Chen. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Well, really good to have you, Chen. Now, I want to ask you, you're, uh, you have taken a very bullish view, a pretty bullish view, I, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we're looking at 2011. I think you believe could be another very good year for uh, asset prices, uh, stocks, commodities, and precious metals. Am I right about that? Yes. Um, right now, I'm taking a bullish view uh, for the near term, near and midterm. And the longer term, it's hard to say, uh, you know, they, they could, because uh, all these are artificial stimulus, uh, for example, you know, the tax cut for two years, you know, and uh, basically they're burning $1 trillion a year. 
So those these are short term. Uh, I don't know whether it's sustainable. Uh huh. Uh, so you're seeing the stimulus right now certainly driving asset prices higher, are they not? Yeah, they basically just throw away money, right? One trillion dollar for the two years, you know, and then Fed QE two, maybe QE three. Who knows how many more QEs? Plus, you know, there's some leftover from the stimulus um, money. So they're just throwing money left and right. Yeah, Chen. Now we were talking. You and I were talking earlier today uh, about what's going on in some other parts of the world, and you noted that virtually all the central banks in the world, not only Ben Bernanke's central bank, but all the central banks in the world are trying to cheapen their currency by printing more and more money. And you had an interesting observation uh, about some things that are going on in Vietnam. Would you care to talk about that for a second? Yeah, Vietnam is an interesting case. It's an emerging market, and the economy is growing rapidly, and you would think their currency will be quite strong. You know, like Chinese currency, you know, appreciate. Just on the contrary, they have a very high inflation, and people start losing confidence in their own currency. So as soon as they get a paycheck, they just go and then exchange to, you know, gold or Chinese currency, even U.S. dollar. You know, because their own currency is sinking very fast. What do you think the prospects are of that happening in the United States anytime soon? Well, that's. Well, pretty hard to say, uh, but I think, you know, if the way the Fed is going, the, the country is going, we, we may see that one day. Uh, so yeah. but when people start losing, really losing confidence, because you can see, you can feel the money printing. You can, you know, they're running out of ink and paper, they're still printing. You know, now they yeah. just use computer keystroke to, to print, you know. So that's so correct. That, that, that's, that's what they're doing. Yeah, and um, you know, Chen. So the idea then is to protect yourself against the, against this carnage, against this destruction of wealth that our government is ushering in, or let's say the reallocation of wealth. Because certainly, Wall Street is doing okay. Main Street is Main Street is not doing very well from what we hear. The unemployment rates are high. We're getting a little improvement in the in the U.S. economy. But um, but overall, not not so much. So where do you think now you are bullish? You are still bullish on gold, I take it. We've seen a nice pullback in gold today. You think this might be a buying opportunity? Or do you think we might see a little lower price where people could buy some gold and silver? Yeah, I see this is a temporary pullback. Um, but it's a Roger, actually, our partner Roger came out with an alert that's pretty good. As they, they're building a base right here. Uh, personally, I'm hoping it, it has a little bit more pullback, uh, you know, pullback a little bit more. So you really shake the trees because the stock and gold and stock are running crazy. All these uh, traders are just so bullish on gold, and you know, like Goldman has very high target for gold. I hope uh, the weekend got shaken off. Then we can have a sustainable rally. Uh, the rally we have, you know, in the past few weeks, it, it looks like unsustainable to me. Yeah, I, I mean, it always is true, isn't it, Chen, that when you get some sort of an exponential rise in a market, you know you're nearing an end. And gold has been now 10 straight years we've seen gold rise in price. And yet you can't say that we're in sort of an exponential rise in the, in the price of gold, could you? And, and this kind of a correction is really very healthy, isn't it, for a longer-term bull market? Yes, absolutely. And you see also, you can see the correction happening in Europe uh, and the United States trading time. That's also very good because right now the, the buyers mostly as in Asia and China, and they, when they buy, they buy at night. You know, you can see probably tonight gold will start to rebound, try to build some base, and then you know tomorrow hedge fund will start. You know, if they see some technical chart, they can start to short 
maybe short gold again. Maybe I mean not may not be tomorrow. Maybe they wait for consolidate a few more days, and then they short again, have another leg down. I mean I hope so. I mean because you know that really will shake out shake the trees to get rid of all the weak hands. Right. Well, that's good. And Chen, I know you're going to have a lot of interesting ideas on the gold front, gold shares, other interesting ideas, and, and we're going to be talking to our listeners here on this show on a regular basis. I want to thank you, Chen, for stopping by. We do have to go to break, and we're going to be talking to David Wolfen. He's the president of a very interesting company called Coral Gold with uh, some real good gold assets in Nevada. So don't go away. We'll be right back with David Wolfen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Wolfen. He's the president of Coral Gold. Coral Gold uh, was a sponsor to the show in the last quarter. Coral Gold is also a company that I have as a recommendation in my newsletter. And I continue to believe that uh, given its market cap right now and 
some 3.4 million ounce gold resource in the ground that this is one of the one of the cheaper one of the less expensive let's say one of the better bargains out there in the junior gold sector uh, it is selling uh, as I say it's selling at about um, uh, I think around 84 cents uh, somewhere in that range is 32 and a half million shares outstanding uh, trades CLH uh, on the uh, Vancouver not at the Vancouver anymore the Toronto Exchange and CLHRF Americans can buy it down here in the US over-the-counter market under the symbol CLHRF welcome David again to turning hard times into good times thank you very much happy to be here good to have you here uh, you lucky guy living up there in Vancouver one of the most beautiful cities the face of the earth and you just came back from Whistler I understand where you were skiing Life is good for the for you guys up there. I'll tell you, it seems to be good anyway. But listen, you have a very good story, I think, in Coral Gold. Um, let's let's uh, let people who have not heard your story. You were on just a few weeks ago with us, so I'm sure many of our people have. Many new listeners though to this show all the time, David. So tell us about your project um, in Nevada, your your flagship project. Well, that's called the Robertson Project. We have about twelve thousand acres. We're uh, completely surrounded by Barrick, and they're operating the giant pipeline and Cortez Hills mine next door. That was a, a flagship operation of Placer Dome, and they got control of that in 2006. Um, currently, they're on target to produce about 1.2 million ounces of gold this year, and it has produced that amount of gold probably for the last 15 years, and collectively there's about 38 million ounces of gold on that property next door. Wow. That is really, uh, that is really quite a deposit. Uh, David, do you, what do you know about the, the structure? Is there some chance that, that there could be continuity between uh, what they have there? I know you put down some deep drill holes. Uh, is, is, that, is, that a, is that a possibility or is it still? Absolutely, absolutely. When we first got started there in the mid-80s, we retained Dr. Ralph Roberts, who found the Carlin Gold Belt, and he told me any time you find a major discovery, if you look within a 5 to 10 mile radius, you're, you're bound to find other offshoots, and, which could be part of a giant gold field. And the Carlin Gold Belt could be, all be part of one giant system. So uh, absolutely, we could be tied into their project, and uh, there could be a hell of a lot more gold down at depth. Well, David, you know, that would be the blue sky to your story, but it's not just a blue sky story because you do have some 3.4 million ounces of gold, uh, a resource, a 43101 resource, I might add. And uh, you are also doing some economic studies on that with the possibility of putting that sort of lower-grade surface deposit into production sometime in the near future. Could you talk just a little bit about that? And what sure. The we just uh, commenced um, metallurgical test work. We've got an independent engineering firm uh, working on uh, uh, putting together all the technical raw data. They, uh, we anticipate... Um, releasing a PEA by May or June of this year, which is uh, basically a pre-feasibility study. That will lay out a roadmap of going into production. Well, so by May of this year, you might know. This is something that I think investors are going to want to keep their eyes on. And let me just, uh, just remark here that your market cap, David, if my arithmetic is correct, uh, we're looking at, I think, $0.84 cents a share uh, times uh, 32.5. You look $27 million market cap, uh, less than $30 million. Does that make sense? That's correct. I mean, it, 
That's correct. So with 3.4 million ounces of gold in the ground, you're surrounded by Barrick, uh, exceptionally profitable operation. But I would think that investors who want to really keep track of your company, they want to keep their eyes on that preliminary economic study that would be coming out in May, you said, right? Absolutely, yep. So if we're looking at something that's very robust, potentially economically, it's hard for me to believe your shares are going to be, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in the market, right? We could have a gold price collapse, I suppose, although I don't expect that at all. Uh, you know, the world could come to an end, I suppose. But barring those kind of extreme circumstances, it seems hard for me to believe that you would still be at a $27 million market cap if you got something that comes out that suggests you could make, uh, that you could put this project into production uh, and, and earn, you know, a few hundred dollars an ounce uh, in profit margin. Do you I mean, let's ask, let's put it this way. What, uh, um, what do you think, how do you compare with peers right now in terms of your market cap per ounce of gold in the ground, realizing, of course, all projects are different? Well, I think that we're probably one of the lowest, if not the lowest, uh, valued company out there. We're in a geopolitically safe region. There's infrastructure surrounding us. Um, basically, the market has overlooked coral and, and um, figured that, because it's in the lowest category inferred that maybe it's not viable. And mm -hmm. basically, we have to prove everybody that it is. And we've done this in the past. Amex Gold in 1994 did a, a feasibility study, but gold was at $400 an ounce at that time. And we had proven and probable reserves at that time, but everything's been reclassified in the, uh, in the inferred category. So this is what we're going to be upgrading. And uh, I'm I'm absolutely 100% positive the value of the company will go up when this report comes out. Well, you're, upgrading your res you're upgrading your resource, and uh, the economic study, if it comes out, it's, it's very positive, as you're saying. That was a positive study, uh, I believe, back at $400 gold. Of course, everything has changed, but I would say everything has changed for the better for gold mining companies because back in those days, gold mining companies were really struggling and now we're seeing rising gold profits coming out of the senior mining companies, the senior gold mining companies. And David, I have to think at some point you've got to be a target because with, with 3.4 million ounces of gold uh, and with the potential for some deep high-grade stuff and right there next to some of you know, the biggest gold mining company in the world, I mean, you've got to be somebody's got to be licking their chops over, over your company. We could sell, sell it tomorrow if we wanted to, but we don't think the value of our company is uh, at, at a price that we would want to accept. So basically, we want to get the market cap up to a, a range where um, if that was to happen, we could accept it. Um, you do have some other properties in Nevada, too. We do have, we have another minute or so to talk about them. If you'd like to just tell our listeners... Uh, some other things that you have going on in Nevada. Yeah, we have a few other ones, but Robertson is the key one. We have the, the other uh, enormous SAS property, which is just to the south of the uh, pipeline mine. So we, we're right in that vicinity, and um, we like it. We think uh, it's one of the best places to be. And um, um, keep in mind, the pipeline mine was the lowest cost producing mine in the world when it came into production in 1997. Placer Dome produced a million ounces of gold that year at $38 an ounce. So mm -hmm. we don't see that we're going to have any great surprises uh, when, when the PEA comes out. Let's uh, just, uh, going back to the Robertson again, I, we, we might just mention that you're, 
uh, your average grade is is what it's something it's it would be considered low in the old days, but uh, you know one of the one of my favorite companies, um, Allied Nevada. It's been a pick of mine in my newsletter. Uh, they are making they are making tons of money with a 0.46 grams per ton uh, or something like that. Um, what is the average grade that you're seeing uh, that's in that 3.4 million ounce resource number? Ours is just a little bit above Allied's. It's uh, 0.5, but the recent uh-huh. drill results we've done have, have more than doubled some of those areas. So um, our original resource was based on reverse circulation drilling, which is not as accurate as diamond core drilling, and that's what we're doing right now is coring it. Well, and uh, one more question before I let you go, David, because it, it is very important to me as an analyst who's looking at the possibilities of future. I, you know, this will come out in the preliminary economic studies, but is there any sense at all of what a ballpark cap X might be for putting an open pit heat leach operation into production here? We'd probably look at something similar to what Allied started with, uh, about a thirty-five to 40,000 ounce a year um, uh, to start, which I think was about forty to fifty million, and then, million. then you can grow from there. Yeah, well, that's certainly what Allied is doing. It's a very exciting story. I, we do know with gold prices at thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars, with costs, uh, you know, five hundred, six hundred dollars, even you can make an awful lot of money, and then you get that capital return very quickly in this in this market environment. But David, I want to thank you again for being with us, for coming on, for taking a, a little time away from your vacation. Boy, you Canadians have a lot of vacation. Doggone it, I wanted to talk to Canadians yesterday. I couldn't find anybody in their office. But anyway, glad that you could come on and talk to us and let our, uh, let our listeners know. You know, what makes this show really exciting is not only the theoretical people that we have on, the very interesting people, but it's people like you, David, that have companies that I think are going to make people, are going to make people wealthy or at least help them retain the wealth they have that's being confiscated through taxation, through inflation, and so forth. So thank you very much for coming on. And, and by the way, say hello to your father. Happy New Year to your father, Lou Wolfen, who I've known for many, many years. One of my favorite people up there in Vancouver, uh, really a decent human being who started uh, Coral Gold. Thank you very much, and Happy New Year to all the listeners. Thank you, David. All the best. We'll be talking again sometime soon, I'm sure. Folks, don't go away. Uh, We're going to be with Ian Gordon. He's going to be back. He's going to be with us again. Ian uh, has some wonderful things. Well, I don't know if they're wonderful. That's the wrong way of putting it. Wonderful if you understand and you position yourself right. Ian is going to tell us what his views are on the market, and he takes a long-term historical view of the markets. He has been as accurate as anybody I know in terms of predicting what is going on. The first bull in the gold market that I know of, and he has done very, very well for himself and his clients. You won't want to miss Ian Gordon. We'll be right back after the break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am really, really pleased to have with me Ian Gordon. He's one of my best friends. I've known him for many years, quite a few years anyway, and was first introduced to Ian when he happened to read something that I wrote. He sent his newsletter to me and said if I, if I thought it was a value, he'd like to exchange letters. I agreed to exchange letters, and I must say that I got the better of that deal for sure because I think I got an awful lot more out of Ian than he's gotten out of me in years, in the last number of years in terms of insights into the market. Where are we heading uh, into the future? Ian uh, is one of the few people I know who's able to go back and look at history and use history as a guide to the future. You know, no, it's the difficulty is, of course, we don't, history never repeats exactly the same way. And we are focused on the here and the now rather than seeing the big picture from 30,000 feet up. And we tend not to be able to draw, uh, to, to understand the patterns of history. And Ian uh, is one of the people that's able to do that along with, I would say, Bob Hoy, who's been a regular uh, guest on this, a fairly regular guest on this show. We've had Rob Prechter on once. In fact, Ian Gordon was with Robert Prechter, when we had him on before, Robert Prechter is able to go back and look at patterns in history, I think. And, you you know, it's not easy necessarily to time the future, but if you can get the big picture and see what's going on from a macro sense, uh, then it's very, very helpful. Ian Gordon uh, is certainly a globally renowned economic forecaster. He's, he's very well known. I know he's known in Japan. He's known in Europe very well. Uh, he's a student of economic and investment history, as I say. His uh, very unique analysis of the cycle 
um, has garnered praise from many notable sources, including some exceptionally well-known investment managers. Ian is a consultant to uh, many mining companies and has assisted many junior mining firms in raising capital over the past number of years. Ian was perhaps the first investment professional anywhere to recognize uh, that markets were uh, about to give birth to a new secular gold bull market when he started writing his long-wave analyst uh, newsletter back in the late 1990s. He was also one of the first financial professionals to begin aggressively raising capital at the very start of this secular bull market in gold. Uh, and uh, and I can tell you that we had uh, Eric Sprott on this show as a guest a few weeks ago. And those of you who heard that heard Eric also uh, sing some praises for Ian Gordon. Well, welcome, Ian. So good to have you back again. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's it's just a delight to have you. You uh, you truly have become a friend of mine over the years, um, and uh, you have really helped me uh, stay the course at times when I when I've become discouraged. And uh, you know, you take a view sometimes of things, and 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 yet the pressures of daily life weigh on you, and you have to you have to put food on the table. But sometimes, you know, uh, you you have to be able to to be patient and to. Uh, hold firm in your convictions, and you certainly have done that. Now, one of the things I'd like to start out uh, talking about today, Ian, is the Kondratiev cycle, because I think that is the foundation, or at least one of the main foundations upon which you have built your model and have made wealth for yourself and for your clients over the years. So could you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about the Kondratiev cycle? What is it, and you know, what uh, relevance does it have for us today? Well, well, Jay, it is the foundation of my work, and um, it was uh, developed by a Russian economist in the uh, early 1920s, and it's, it's just a long economic uh, cycle. He, he was able to go back. He was able to go back to um, uh, the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, uh, 1789, and, uh, and basically see how the you know the world's economy sort of moved together in unison uh he he measured international trade he looked at interest rates and so on of course the country that he was studying in the earlier days was uh, great britain because the industrial revolution uh was developed there first and, and then moved across into other countries of europe and then into the united states and we could say in sort of mid 1800s and um uh, so, I, what I've done, and, uh, and I'm not unique in having done this, but what I've done with the Kondratiev cycle, and I call it a lifetime cycle because we essentially live in a meaningful way where we're responsible uh, for ourselves and our families, one complete cycle. So it's about a 70-year cycle. And what we've done is we've divided the cycle into the four seasons of the year, which we think are very appropriate, uh, spring, is the beginning begins the, is the dawn of the, each cycle, the beginning of each cycle, and it's the time when the economy uh, starts to flourish in the spring, and then uh, spring lasts approximately a quarter of those seventy years, and then we move into summer when the economy really reaches its fruition, and uh, from summer we go into autumn. And that's always what we call the feel-good period. Autumn is always the period when you have the biggest uh, speculation in stocks, bonds, and real estate. 
And then from autumn, we move into winter, which is the payback period when debt has to be wrung out of the economy, debt paid off, and so that it can start uh, refreshed in the, in the new spring. Um, we can tell, uh, and I think this is unique to our work, we can tell exactly where we are in the cycle and when each of those seasons is going to change. And I'm not going to go through each of them because we really only want to know. Uh, I'm going to give you two. We know, for instance, when we're going into autumn, which is the big speculative period in the economy when stocks, bonds, and real estate do so well, uh, because there are four events that uh, anticipate the beginning of autumn, and those four events are a peak in interest rates, a peak in prices, a bear market in stocks, and a recession. And uh, if our, uh, people will remember perhaps back to about 1981 when interest rates peaked uh, here in Canada at 20%, and I think yours were over 15%, and you had a peak in prices and a big recession, the 81-82 recession, which at the time was considered to be the worst recession since the Depression, and then the bear market in stocks that took the Dow down from 1,000 down to 777 in August 1982. Those same four events occurred between 20 and 21, exactly the same four events. And, of course, we know what followed in uh, the roaring 1020s in 1921 to 29. When that big uh, stock bull market peaks, that is the indication that you're moving into winter when the payback period for debt uh, is going to occur. And that's going to be a very, very difficult period. So in about 19, I started writing my newsletter in, in 1998, and I could see that, we, and I knew exactly that we were in, in this massive bull market, and I knew it had started in August 1982, and I knew by 1998 that it must be coming to an end. There was a tremendous amount of speculation starting to occur in the dot-com stocks and so on. So I was already starting to position myself uh, into gold. Sort of 1999 and 2000, I was definitely moving uh, basically all my assets into gold and, and out of out of the general equity market in anticipation of the coming Kondratiev winter. There's another indication of that, too, that we follow very closely, and that's the Dow uh, Jones Industrial Average divided by the uh, price for one ounce of gold. And it always moves to extreme highs and extreme lows, and it tends to move around the Kondratiev season. So Spring, for instance, at the end of spring, that Dow-Gold ratio, where, where the Dow does very well because it's the rebirth of the economy, reaches a high, as it did in 1966, and then it reaches a low at the end of uh, the end of summer, when it came to a one-to-one relationship, and then it reached another great high in 1999 July of 43.85 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones. So that too is an indication to us that we were going to reverse the roles, that we were going to go from that very extreme high in the Dow-Gold ratio to a very extreme low, and we're on that, in that process now. And that's really why I was able to position myself and my clients 100% into gold, and the positioning, you know, I position myself 100% into the junior uh, gold equities because I felt that that's where the leverage was. All right, Ian, just for perspective, we might let our listeners know that the current ratio, the Dow to gold ratio, is about, what, eight or nine to one? 
It's, well, today, today it's moved. Gold's down over forty dollars, so it's 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 moved a little higher. But it it's Might about a, it, uh, it was about eight and a half to one. So it's come down from forty three point eight five to about eight and a half to one, and okay. it's going to go to an extreme low. And that extreme low, Ian, sort of historically has been at the bottom of bear markets for equities, somewhere about one to one. It's been, yeah. It was one-to-one one in 1980 when the Dow was 850 and gold was 850, and it was one-to-one one in uh, 1896, which was, the, uh, which was the, the end of the previous winter. And uh, in 19, it was two-to-one in 1932 um, when the Dow Jones dropped by 90% between 29 and 32. It was only two-to-one. However, the gold price was fixed at $20.67 an ounce. Mm-hmm. And we know that if the gold price had not been fixed, the gold price would have risen quite considerably because we know that when the, in the 90, early 1930s, when the whole banking system was starting to collapse in the United States, 10,000 banks fell between 29 and 33. We know that there was a massive move to own gold on the part of uh, not only the American people, but on part of all foreigners. And, um, and then during that process, that, that the demand was absolutely uh, so big that uh, the U.S., in fact, was running out of gold to support the dollar because the dollar was actually uh, tied to gold at $20.67 an ounce. So much so that when Roosevelt became president, one of the first acts he did was to confiscate the U.S. citizens' gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, denouncing them as hoarders and uh, replenishing the treasury so that they could still back gold. Right. How dare those American citizens protect themselves and their their own families and their wealth by uh, by hoarding gold? Huh? Yeah. Uh, he, Ian, was, he was pretty. His speech. I've got the the entire speech, and it was it was it, he really denounced the gold hoarders. Um, Ian, I know that uh, we'll maybe talk on this, talk about this the second uh, half hour of our show today. But uh, you think that at least the last time we spoke, you believe that we could see something less than a one-to-one, perhaps a one-to-four ratio. Uh, I believe that is with, uh, and I think the numbers that you talked about were potentially a thousand on the Dow and four thousand dollar gold. Do you still believe that's possible? Well. I do. In fact, I believe it could be even lower than that. Um, my goodness. Um, you know, I, I'm very confident with my prediction of Dow 1000, and and I know I've been, I've taken a lot of heat for that prediction. Oh yeah. Um, on the other hand, I'm you know I'm not as confident with my 4000 gold, simply because I know that when the whole thing really starts to unravel. The demand for gold is going to go so excessive that I, I just don't believe you're going to be able to get it at any price. It's going to be so difficult to get. I mean, we've had times, even you know, a year or so ago, when you know, probably in the Lehman kind of bust, when everybody was trying to buy gold, when you couldn't get it. There's a local dealer very close to where I live uh, called Border Gold, and, and they are big dealers. And there was no gold available from Border Gold, and they were one of the biggest dealers for the Canadian Maple Leaf. So if this, you know, and I, I'm sort of fairly confident in saying that this thing is going to unravel, that the powers that be are not going to have the, the wherewithal to try and fix it, and if this really starts to go bad, and I think it will in a Kondratiev winter, then 
the demand for gold is going to go uh, sky high, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that you'll be able to get it. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about the unraveling, the unraveling of the current economic or the current monetary system, the current global monetary system. But before we go there, Ian, I want to step back again and just ask you a little bit more about the Kondratiev cycle. This would be for the sake of listeners uh, who, who might not be familiar with it. You did talk about the fall and the winter primarily, and that's appropriate because that's where we're at. We those of us listening to the show would have fresh in our memories the fall season that began in 1980, I believe, uh, and went up through the year 2000 or thereabouts. And, and that was a spectacular time for housing prices, for stock prices, for bond markets, for commodities, for virtually everything. And people that were long those risk trades made a ton of money during this time frame. Then we started to see growing uh, instability in the markets, certainly the most pronounced one so far being the Lehman Brothers decline in 2008, stretching into 2009, the decline that we saw in the equity market and the commodity prices and so forth. And I want to get into this whole issue of the unraveling that we're talking about. But just to step back for a second, if we could go back from a historical perspective and take a look at the current Kondratiev cycle. Ian, if I'm remembering correctly in my discussions with you in the past, we're looking at this current Kondratiev cycle starting in 1949, the spring, right. and then going to 1966. Is that correct? That's true, yes. And then... And that, then, that was, then, uh, then you go into summer, 1966, into 1980-82. There's a little stretch there because um, uh, you have the, the peak in prices occurs in 1980. The gold price peak occurred at eight, $850 an ounce occurred in 1980. And uh, but your interest rate peak was until '81, and the bear market in stocks didn't occur until August 1982. And, part of uh, the bear it, market. Correct, and that was until the recent decline. That was the the deepest decline, the de the deepest uh, recession that we had since the Great Depression. But this right. one, one we're in now, uh, was deeper, and and I believe you believe it's going to get a lot deeper still. But just uh, going back to this, so. During the spring, there are certain things that do very well. Stocks are the are the main thing, right? Stocks do extremely well during the well, spring. Well, real estate does. Stocks and real estate, anything that's been so badly beaten up in the winter, and because the economy is starting to blossom again, uh, because Americans have gone back into you know saving money, and mm -hmm. that is what you need to drive an economy is capital, you know, saved sure. and so on. And the Americans were saving, you know, buying war bonds and so on during the Second World War. So there was a lot of savings. All the debt, essentially, that had been built up in the, in the 20s had been washed out. Um, and you can see that by just measuring debt to GDP. And you can see that debt to GDP bottomed actually in 1952, so just after the beginning of spring. So but most consumer and corporate debt had had been washed out of the system uh, during the um, the 30s and the 40s, and um, you know corporations did extremely well in the 40s because of the war. So they were able to pay down debt because they were were booming, you know, with the with the manufacturing, you know, of weapons and so mm -hmm. on for the war. Um, so. Debt is expunged from the system in the winter, and we know that that most of the debt, most of the consumer and corporate debt was and financial debt had been washed out by 1952. Mm -hmm. 
So here's the important thing then, Ian, if I could just interrupt. Uh, if we can get through this current cycle, those people who are able to get through the current cycle and have some wealth and some capital left would, in theory, be ready in a very, very strong position then to buy assets on the cheap, very, very inexpensively, bargain basement, stocks of a lifetime, in theory at least, at the start of the next Kondratiev cycle, which I guess is another 10 years away or so probably, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. Um, uh, you know, uh, one of the indications of the um, uh, is that uh, you know that when you're going into that spring, is that pay down in debt when debt mm -hmm. to GDP reaches a low, and um, so really that's the process that we're going to have to go through right now. And those people that who who are able a uh, who have probably not uh, got themselves into too much debt, and who uh, are being able to build a, a position, and I would say, you know, all my position, and I'm 68 years old, is 100% in, uh, you know, my accounts are 100% invested in junior gold stocks. Um, if you can, uh, we're still going to see gold going higher and higher as the trauma of the Kondraty of winter unfolds. If people can, you know, build wealth like that, then yes, they're going to have tremendous opportunities when spring, you know, does come to the fore. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I want to talk to you more if we have time in the second half hour today about how to preserve, uh, how to preserve that wealth, how to hang on to it, because I know you do have some concerns about uh, political risks that could come to Americans and to people around the world. So that's a topic that we might want to get into. Uh, before, we've got another few minutes before our first commercial break here, Ian, and I want to ask you, though, just start this issue of the unraveling, the great unraveling. You said recently, you wrote, that there's, uh, in your view, there's a 20% potential for the existing global monetary order to end in 2011. Could you talk to our listeners a little bit about that and why you were saying that? Well, we could, I mean, anybody can see that, uh, that, that certainly the whole global monetary system is, is certainly creaking at the seams. I mean, the euro is under tremendous pressure, as is the U.S. dollar. I mean, uh, people are already looking for alternatives to the U.S. dollar as, as a reserve currency. And we, we know going back to the previous Kondraty of winter, this is why we find history so you know the repetitive how history does tend to repeat in these very very close cycles we know that uh, the world monetary system started to unravel essentially in 1931 and it all started with the failure of of, of an austrian bank the, the major the largest bank in austria the credit Arch bank mm -hmm. and when credit Arch failed i mean everybody tried to bail it out Including the Federal Reserve and J.P. Morgan. Why? Why were American banks so interested in bailing out an Australian? Uh, sorry, an Austrian bank. Mm -hmm. They were doing it because the American banks had lent copious amounts of money into Germany and Austria, mm -hmm. and uh, they knew that uh, if if this Austrian bank failed, then all the German and Austrian paper that uh, you know they'd they'd uh, lent money on was going to collapse, and it, that would be very, very difficult for the banks to uh, to go through. So they tried to bail it out. They failed. Austria tried to bail it out. Austria failed. It bankrupted Austria, trying to bail out this bank. And you can see the parallels now with what's happening in Europe, 
with the European countries and Europe itself trying to bail out these countries. Uh, and they're bailing out these countries in Europe because they don't want the banks to go under because the banks have all that debt on their books, all that uh, country debt on their books. So um, we can see very close parallels to that. It so happened, uh, you know, when Austria failed and Germany failed very quickly thereafter, went off the gold standard system. So the world monetary system, those were two not very key countries but had left the, the uh, world monetary system. And then uh, Britain had returned to the uh, gold standard system in 1926 at, and had pegged the pound at the same rate as the pound had been in 1914 before the onset of the war. So, uh, and actually Winston Churchill was the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, or your Treasury Secretary, and he, mm -hmm. he had done that, I guess, in a moment of pride, and certainly the pound wasn't worth what it had been worth before the war. And so uh, people started to attack the British pound by essentially taking British gold in exchange for British pounds out of the British, uh, out of the Bank of England. Mm -hmm. And that eventually forced Britain off the gold standard, and the whole system started to collapse because Britain at that time had an empire, so all these countries too left the monetary system, mm -hmm. and you had basically the, the system in a state of collapse. Uh, Britain traded with its empire, the Germans and Austrians sort of stuck together, and eventually Europe itself all left the, sta uh, the system, and the United States left in 1933. Roosevelt took them off the gold standard system. So essentially we had the whole system collapsing, beginning in 1931. Well, it so happens that we're in 2011, and that happens to be uh, 80 years. And that's a very important number for me because I'm a, a big fan of W.D. Gann, and Gann wrote about these cycles, and so these kinds of, uh, when you get even numbers of years, particularly Gann was uh, keenly felt that 20-year cycle was a very important cycle. Well, 80 is just four twenties, And so I can see, you know, using these Gann cycles, uh, uh, 2011 being uh, probably an opportune time for the world monetary system to start its collapse. Mm -hmm. And... And, you know, we, I wrote about this in a piece on my website called This Is It, when I um, used a lot of the GAN cycles to say that the, it was over for the stock market in 2007, and I published that piece in November. And, of course, the stock market peaked in October 2007. By using these GAN cycles, because 2007 was 100 years beyond the 1907 crash, and we know what the 1907 crash did, Jay. We we were talking about it last night. It yep. it was the the setup for the Federal Reserve that crash in 1907. We know that we, uh, the 2007 was um, whatever number of years after the 1987 crash. It was uh, five years after the 2002 bottom. Uh, it was uh, there were so many of these references for that 2000 be a, a period when we just felt very confident in predicting that the stock market had peaked when we wrote that in November uh, 2007 well, and that the major banking crisis was about to develop. 
Well, Ian, uh, it's interesting, those sort of even 20-year cycles, the GAN cycles, if you if you want to say, it's sort of hard for me to understand why that would be the case. But when you do, uh, you talk about what was going on in Europe in the last uh, unraveling of the system, and now we look at what's going on now at the, in the current system. You know, there's also this desire to try to pretend that money is worth something, that the dollar is worth something. You were talking about how uh, Churchill, uh, you know, wanted to make believe that the pound sterling was worth more than it was relative to real money, gold. Right now, uh, we have all manner of, of efforts to trash gold. I think it's been going on for years by the establishment. We have uh, Bernanke printing trillions of dollars of stimulus and QE money that's going out there and, uh, and trying to pretend as if the dollar is still worth something. I mean, where do these people where do these people come from? Where do they get their economics lessons? How can we create endless amounts of money and it be worth something? How where I, I'm missing something here. Ian, how how, well, how you do can't, people believe you that? Can't, you can't, Jay. I mean that that's the point. And uh and that's why it's bringing down the whole system is uh, you, you know, this con you know, when you print paper money, you're, you're in effect creating debt. That's all it is. It's just adding to the debt load because it goes into the banks and the banks have to lend it out. So, I mean, that's uh, right now the printing of paper money is going into the banks. It's not coming through the banks to be lent out. It's being used by the banks to speculate so right. that uh, they can pay themselves big fat bonuses on the uh, on the basis of the profits that they're making on the uh, around the speculation and so when Bernanke puts in 600 billion dollars into the banks they've got all this money to go and buy stocks buy commodities buy whatever and make and money it's not 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 coming from the real economy necessarily it's speculation ian you're talking about debt money you're talking about fiat money that is money that the markets haven't chosen for money but money that the politicians under the force of law and guns have told us we have to use as money uh... It, and and you're talking about that is debt money as opposed to asset money which is what gold is gold has intrinsic value silver would work that way as well right yes um, in fact, I just I, I wrote a piece on a blog not too long ago that actually silver's getting quite difficult to 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 get right now uh, from the bullion dealers um, simply because the demand is so uh, so large for silver. So um, I know that uh, just before Christmas, the, the same bullion dealer was telling me that you know that they were actually restricting the amount of silver that anyone could purchase at any one time because. The, the Royal Canadian Mint couldn't produce the silver maple leaves fast enough to keep up with demand. Okay, Ian, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come right back with this fascinating discussion. We're going to ask you about some ideas about how we can protect ourselves in this upcoming uh, decline in the monetary system. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Ian Gordon. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. 
Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Briggis Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Briggis has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Briggis is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Briggis as your gold investment choice. Briggis is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network try not to try too hard it's just a love you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am here uh, with our special guest this uh, week, Ian Gordon. Uh, this is the second hour of today's show. And, and incidentally, we didn't mention in the introduction, I believe, that we're going to a three-hour show. Uh, that is in the, uh, thir- the third Tuesday of this month. So, uh, we'll have more time to talk to more interesting people like Ian Gordon and a host of other people, tons of other people we've had on this show. Very interesting. The most exciting job I've ever had is talking to really interesting folks on this show. So I, I just want to say that, uh, again, thank you for, for listening to the show and making this a popular show. I need to also tell you that our sponsors for the second hour of today's show are Crocodile Gold, uh, gold Bullion Development, Athabasca Uranium, Gold and Minerals, and Western Pacific. Well, Ian, uh, before the break, we were just talking a little bit about this this uh, potential for the decline in the world's monetary system. You gave us some history about what happened in the last cycle. We're looking at a cycle, I think, that you know history never repeats itself exactly the same, but it rhymes, as they say. And we're seeing this... Uh, this tremendous amount of money creation out of thin air, pretending that the dollar has some value when, in fact, unlimited amounts of it are being created by Ben Bernanke in a uh, in an effort to try to pull the wool over people's eyes. People are being uh, are having their wealth confiscated from them through inflation, through the debasement of currency. This is not a new thing in history. This has happened time and time again. So the question now is. You know, and what I think this radio show and other shows like it bring to people is an awareness of what's going on because the mainstream is trying to keep people in the dark, it keep them on the mushroom farm, as they say. And and what we need to do is uh, is let people know now how they can protect themselves, how they can protect their family and their wealth. So, 
this is going on. We're seeing the dollar lose its value. The economy is in bad shape. The jobs are not coming back. Uh, the standard of living for Americans is going down. What can Americans, what can Canadians, what can other people around the world do, Ian? Well, the first thing, Jay, as quickly as possible, everybody really has to get out of debt mm-hmm. because uh, it's it's crippling in in a deflationary kind of environment. And particularly, you know, we're going into a depression very similar to, you know, and perhaps even worse than the 30s depression. And, and, and that means um, a lot of people being thrown out, out of work and so on. So you're carrying, a, you know, if you're carrying a lot of debt, it's very, very difficult. It's almost impossible to sort of uh, be, manage to sort of pay that down if you're not working and so on. And we're seeing the, the beginnings of how difficult this is for people who are being thrown out of their homes in the United States. I mean, you know, they took on mortgages that they probably couldn't afford to take on, and uh, the value of their homes has dropped uh, dramatically, and they can't make the payments, uh, you know, the debt payments, and so they're being pushed out of their houses. So um, debt is a is a very, very a bad thing to be carrying in, in the winter of the Kondratiev cycle. Uh, secondly, you know, if you can't, you know, uh, people can get out of that uh, position or are out of that position, uh, you know, one should be trying to protect your wealth by buying uh, into the precious metals and owning precious metals. We've been in that camp since um, 2000, and uh, but it's not by any means too late to to get into that sphere at this time. And most of the place that we've been is in the junior uh, mining sector because we believe that that's where the leverage is. I mean, if you buy a, a junior company that has a uh, gold-in-the-ground asset uh, and is uh, not yet in production but is building the, those gold-in-the-ground, th- those assets are worth a lot of money. We know in the 30s when um, the depression hit and the banking system in the United States uh, collapsed, we know at that time the move to gold was very, very large and all capital eventually started to flow almost exclusively into that industry. And so that you could see gold production increase between 1931 and 1940 by 66%. Well, you don't get an increase in gold production without money going into the into the uh, gold companies to get them into that kind of production, and that was a worldwide increase in production. So it was a a very large increase in gold production. In the United States, by 1940, according to the U.S. Bureau of Mines, there were 9,000 operating gold mines mm. in the United States. And I doubt that you've got 500 operating gold mines today in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, this is where the money flowed because people were so scared. The banks were collapsing. The monetary system had collapsed. World trade had almost ceased to function. And uh, people were very, very frightened. So they moved their, their money, what, you know, what they had of it, into gold. Well, Ian, if people aren't scared, we've already seen a rise in the gold price from around $250 when you and I first started talking back around 1998 or thereabouts uh, to you know, $1,400 plus. Uh, what's going to happen when people are scared to the gold price? 
Well, you know, if people get scared of the gold price because it's so high, they're going to move to silver, which we discussed earlier. People are moving to silver. Silver's going to take on a monetary role. You know, one of the things about silver is that uh, it's first and foremost an industrial metal and secondly a monetary metal, but, you know, gold is being priced out of the reach of many, many people. So I'm pretty confident that silver uh, will come into its own as a, as a monetary metal as well. That's interesting because I know when you and I first met, you weren't nearly as bullish on silver uh, as you were on gold, and I guess you're extremely bullish on both, though, as I hear you. Uh, well, I, I am, and uh, um, only only because I can see that gold is being priced out of reach of uh, you know mm-hmm. of many people who would like to protect their assets and and be mm-hmm. able to purchase that. Uh, we know that, for instance, in the 30s, again, silver essentially didn't work. People didn't make a beeline to own silver uh, as the banking system collapsed. But in, in some ways, they were owning silver in the United States and here in Canada because our coinage was um, minted out of silver. You had the silver dollars, which was 0.8 ounces of silver in the United States, 0.6 ounces here in Canada of silver. And a 50-cent piece was half of that, and a quarter was a quarter of that, and so on. So I'm sure that a lot of silver was hoarded, silver coinage was hoarded in the early 1930s in the United States, buried in backyards or whatever, um, because it was, it was the coin of the realm anyway. Uh, Ian, when we went to commercial break, you talked about some legislation or proposed legislation in Utah. Could you tell our listeners about that? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read it to you because I, I was absolutely, I just thought, wow. So this is proposed in Utah to uh, adopt a goal-based system. And the proposal is in the Utah legislature would require the state to allow uh, government agencies to accept gold for transaction and creating a parallel monetary policy for interstate commerce tied to the price of gold. Hmm. And uh, whoever is the driving force behind this, and I, I think his name is Dougal, he's saying fundamentally, this is what he says, fundamentally what it comes down to is people's concern about the fundamentally reckless policies at the Federal Reserve and what it does long-term to the financial standing of the country and giving folks another choice of monetary tools for their financial transactions. Yeah. Well, this is, this is exactly why Ron Paul's uh, move, and he's introduced legislation every single time he's entered Congress, every single time he's been reelected, uh, every session of Congress, to end the Fed. And as I mentioned to our listeners at the start of the show today, Dennis Kucinich, a liberal, a uh, very, very liberal Democrat, is also uh, entering legislation to end the Federal Reserve as well. Uh, we talked uh, to uh, Chen Lin uh, at the start of the show today, and he talked about how people in Vietnam are getting rid of their currency as fast as possible, making a beeline for gold or silver. Uh, you know, Ian, I, a few years ago, it seemed to me incomprehensible that we could be heading back towards a, uh, a market-driven monetary system based on asset money as opposed to liability money, but it seems to me more and more evidence like what you're talking about, and I want to ask Roger Wiegand, who's with us as well, but, but Ian, it seems to me more and more that we are looking at the possibilities of the market demanding some sort of gold or silver or asset-backed monetary system be reinstalled. Do you think it's going to happen? 
I think I think it has to happen, Jay. I mean, mm-hmm. if if we're right about this collapse of the of the world monetary system, we you know I'm also pretty you know not confident, but I I I, I have predicted. Remember, we we said the 1907 crash was a hundred years from the 2007 stock market peak, and we also said that the 1907 crash was the precursor for the birth of the Fed. And the Fed was born in 1913. So we have actually gone out on our website and said that because that's 100 years, we believe the Fed will cease to exist by uh, 2013. Wow, that is an interesting number, an interesting date, and I'll tell you why I say that. Our good friend Chen Lin believes that we're going to, I mean, I you may not agree with this, Ian, but Chen believes that we've got some more expansion uh, he sees this whole thing as an unsustainable uh, global monetary system, including China, where he's from. He believes that we uh, that the bubble is going to burst. He is his own view is that we see another 2000 and uh, 2011, and even uh, possibly and probably in his view 2012 expansion of the risk trade. Uh, these asset price bubbles continue to expand, but then he thinks that in 2013 we are going to see a collapse that makes the Lehman Brothers collapse look like child's play. And that would seem then to suggest that that timing, another GAN cycle, I guess, if, you're, if is that what you're talking about, Ian, uh, the, the potential end of the Fed. And now we have legislation from Ron Paul on the right and Dennis Kucinich on the left. You have the Utah thing, and I'm going to ask Roger about Georgia. There's something going on in Georgia, too. I'm going to ask Roger. It seems to me there is growing pressure it's it's market driven pressure really isn't it that's saying we got to go back to honest money this is baloney this is crap this is this is this is a lie and you know the the very foundation of government the notion that that people have been lied to tricked and deceived by the central banks it's it's a growing it's a growing feeling in a sense i think that's gaining popularity and probably a good part of what's behind the tea party any comments ian well um I'd like to make a comment on Chen Lin's um, view. I, I, sure. I, I, I think that w- this year, I think we can see the markets moving up, possibly into April, mm-hmm. but no longer than no. I, I don't believe that we'll see any increase beyond April in uh, in the general stock market, and I think that that will usher in a crash. Uh, you know, of the of the Elliott third uh, wave down in stock prices and uh and it'll take out the 2009 low so i i i think the bear market is going to resume uh very much this year and i think it's going to be horrendous it is the winter bear market and the winter bear market in the last winter lost 90 percent of its value and um i also believe that uh this year that we've got a very good chance of seeing china uh basically blowing up uh because i've drawn the parallel between China and the United States. China is the United States of the 20s and 30s. You've got the massive uh, industrial expansion that the United States uh, underwent uh, during the First World War and then through into the 20s with the automobiles, the refrigeration, aircraft, radio, and so on. I mean, the United States was on a huge path of industrial uh, growth. And also, following the First World War, the United States became the world's greatest creditor nation. And so China shares that 
uh, distinction today. And we've seen this uh, huge malinvestment that's ongoing in China, where the banks are so flush with dough, they're lending it out to anybody and everybody. And so they're building cities, and no one lives in them, and so on. So I think this this whole system is going to come to a collapse in uh, 2011, bring down the Chinese system, uh, a banking system, much as the U.S. banking system was brought to its knees between 1929 and 33. But out of that, China will evolve as the greatest financial, economic, and industrial power, as did the U.S., well, it makes a lot of sense from a cyclical point of view, for sure. Uh, I'm going to ask Roger to comment, not now, later in the show, Roger, because I want to reserve this time for Ian, but when you're with me after the half hour, Roger, on Ian's, Ian's timing, if you keep that in mind, the April sort of peak, it certainly would, would go along with Robert McHugh's timing, and I know, Roger, you are an Elliott Wave guy as well, so hold that thought later in the hour when I talked to you, Roger. But I wanted to ask you, Roger, about Georgia. You had mentioned at the commercial break, and you and Ian and I were talking, that something is also going on in Georgia. Tell our listeners about that, if you would, please. I think I saw that thing on Bloomberg, Jay. It was sometime last week, and it was a a Georgia legislator was going to introduce a bill to require taxpayers to pay their taxes in gold and silver. Okay, and and so this would be another one of those uh, moves towards towards monetization uh, on a state level. Um, uh, uh, Ian, getting back to you, then um, you had written something, uh, and and let me just say to the listeners here before we go any further, and I and forgive me for not saying this before, Ian, but tell our listeners your website so they can go and and pick up your wonderful articles you've got there. What is the the website? Is the Longwave Analyst? No, it's uh, longwavegroup.com. Long, not the long wave group, but lo- long, long wave group. Longwavegroup.com. Okay, folks, you want to go there and check out Ian's uh, Ian's info. There's lots of lots of good stuff there. It is a sc- subscription driven basis, uh, I think. Now, Ian, are you not? It's a paid for service. We are, we but there, of- we we do try to put a lot of stuff on the website for the general uh, viewing public. So. Um, uh, there is a lot of a lot of material there, and I just want to look at a couple of the articles that you've written not that long ago. Uh, Ian, going back to uh, let me just see here one that I thought was really in a hell of a state. Uh, July twenty sixth. You talking about the United States local governments? Is that what you're talking about there? Right. Or, or, yeah. yeah. And uh, Meredith Whitney recently talked on sixty minutes about the municipal governments in the United States. What what hellish shape we're in, and of course she took all kinds of all kinds of flack for that. You happened to be on a show with Meredith Whitney once, and I think uh, as well um, as as Eric Sprott. Uh, you met up with Meredith. I think she's an, an enormously courageous woman who's gone out and and has spoken her mind, even though even though it makes the establishment very very angry. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the the local governments and and what is that going to mean if we start to see municipal governments failing to make good on their bonds? Do you think that Bernanke's going to come in and buy those municipal bonds then, like he has U.S. debt or like he is monetizing U.S. debt now? Well, you know, the Federal Reserve under the uh, Monetary Control Act of uh, 1980 can buy those bonds. They can monetize anything under that act. They can monetize foreign debt. Yeah. So they have, um, Bernanke can do what he likes. I mean, uh, and and I'm sure he will. But uh, 
you know, the, the printing presses are going overtime, and what you see is what, what's he, what kind of rubbish is he putting on the Fed's balance sheet? Right. I mean, how is that ever going to come off? I mean, they're hoping that they, they are going to be able to jumpstart this economy and the taxpayers are going to start paying taxes and everything's going to go, be beautiful again, and then he can unload all that crap you know, into the marketplace. But uh, that isn't going to happen. All the debt has to be wrung out of the system before the economy can start renewed again. And this is the insights that you bring with the Kondratiev cycle, taking this long-term view, realizing that whether you're on a gold standard or not, politicians, uh, policymakers, and bankers like to expand the system, like to try to believe they can have something for nothing. They expand it to the point where it just can't be expanded anymore, Ian. Is that it? And that's what happens that's right. when the Kondratiev winter begins. And we're overwhelmed by debt. The whole world is overwhelmed by debt. And every time that Bernanke prints more money, he creates more debt, not less. Right. Because yeah. debt is the raw material from which money is created in a fiat currency system. Unlike a gold-backed system where you go and you dig some gold out of the ground, you got a new increased money supply. Now it is the other side of the coin is the, is the debt, and it cannot be repaid. But I'm thinking, Ian, as you're talking here about Bernanke printing all of this money, trying to monetize uh, and buying everything, gold mines, uh, state debt, local debt, whatever, that, again, people are saying, wait a minute, this is rubbish. We don't want to own this currency anymore because it is becoming increasingly worthless. And, you know, rather than saying printing money, they talk about fancy things like quantitative easing, <laughs> as if that were something different. Right. Well, you know, Jay, uh, there are two points, periods in history that I know of, and I'm sure there are more than this. But when paper money gets completely discredited and no one trusts it anymore, one is John Law, uh, Mississippi scheme, when they printed uh, so much paper money and the massive speculation in the share price of the Mississippi company. And when that whole thing collapsed, uh, the farmers refused to bring uh, their produce into Paris and be paid in this paper because the values of the paper were dropping so dramatically and they tried to outlaw the ownership of gold and eventually you know the Parisians basically demanded that they go back to a standard that so that they could get fed that the farmers would bring produce in only if they were paid in gold and the same mm -hmm. happened in the French Revolution during the Assignon period when the whole mm -hmm. paper money system collapsed and uh, People refuse to, to accept paper in payment. And we're starting to see this, that, 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 like this thing from Utah and Georgia and so on, that you know, people are starting to recognize gold as money. And if the whole world monetary system collapses, as I think it might in 2011, then are people going to say, I don't want to accept paper dollars for my oil? Right. You know, we already know Saudi Arabia would rather buy F-15s than get U.S. dollars, so they right. spent $60 billion on hardware, military hardware, rather than keep those uh, dollars in their vaults in, in uh, Rita. And on a more practical, local scale, uh, if I'm losing confidence in the dollars that I'm carrying around, and I need a plumber to come in and fix my, my toilet, I might say to him, here, uh, here's a couple of ounces of silver. If you can fix this for me, please. He may demand that rather than the paper money. I mean, this is just the way 
people would say, or maybe instead of that barter, somebody says, okay, you you fix my my toilet, I'll give you a, a year's subscription to my newsletter. I mean, that's what that's yeah. what happened in Argentina when things broke down a little bit. I think it went into a barter system, and then local governments came up with their own currency system as well. So this this seems to be playing out. It really is playing out in in uh, in real time here. It seems to me, Ian. Uh, Roger, have you got any questions? A question for Ian, perhaps before we uh, conclude this discussion. We got another couple of minutes left here. Yeah, I would be curious about uh, Ian's ideas regarding the Canadian economy versus the American economy. How badly uh, is this mess in the U.S. messing up Canada? Well, you know, we. Roger, we've done, you know, we're doing okay, but, you know, in the last three or four months here in Canada, we've, we've been warned by not only the Prime Minister, but by our central bank governor, who's an ex-Goldman Sachs guy, um, and we've been warned that the Canadians have got now got to the stage where the average Canadian has more debt than the average American. So I'm pretty sure that next year, oh sorry, this year, 2011, is going to see real, you know, major problems occurring in the Canadian economy. However, one of the things that uh, we have, we have an industry that everybody is going to love, and we have a gold industry here in Canada. So I, I can see a lot of money flowing into Canada in support of that industry. I uh, want to thank you, Ian. Uh, is there anything else, maybe that you might want to just mention to our listeners before uh, before we conclude our discussion? I think, uh, we, I think we've said it all. We, we've covered a lot. We certainly haven't said it all, Ian. You and I have talked for hours on end, and uh, you have certainly given a great uh, overall picture. Uh, no doubt about that. Now, and I, and I want to thank you again. For, for helping us out and for coming on. And again, folks, I wanted to remind you to go to Long Wave Analyst. No, Long Wave Group, Jay. You'll get it right. Longwavegroup.com. Longwave.com. Okay, longwavegroup.com. Thank you, Ian, for correcting me on that. Folks, go there. You don't want to miss it. There's uh, life-saving, money-saving ideas there and certainly a fascinating uh, place to visit and uh, to help you protect your family and your wealth and hopefully individual liberty and freedom. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Roger Wiegand. He and I will be talking for the next half hour about various topics. Just discuss where we think the market may be going in 2011. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Box mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Box, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by voice america business network the bottom line in business try not to try too hard it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program welcome back to turning hard times into good times i am your host jay taylor and i've got with me my partner roger wiegan roger writes an excellent newsletter called trader tracks and you can avail yourself to roger's services by going to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com you can also go to webeatthestreet.com uh, Roger is a regular contributor at Kitco. You can read his articles at Kitco. Uh, and uh, he is on this show almost every week, although most of the time we sort of shortchange Roger. We put him at the end of the show uh, for the wrap-up, and there's not much time left. Today we have a little more time, Roger. We only had one corporate sponsor come on today, and so we've got more time. And when I go to a three-hour uh, program, a three-hour show in a couple of weeks, then maybe we'll have more time for you to share some of your insights. But I'd like to start by asking you, uh, you heard what Ian talked about, the uh, an April peak for the equity market. You know, Ian believes that we are in a, a very, very severe bear market that we've only seen the first leg down i think it was the um the the a wave down we've had a b wave up and uh, and now ian is looking for that uh, what dr robert McHugh talks about the c wave down and i know that's elliot wave jargon but uh you are also an elliot wave student what are what's your thinking on the market timing uh, ian is suggesting april and then the big one down what are your thoughts i totally agree with those dates uh just recently, we, we put out some information, uh, either in Trader Tracks or Kitco, I forget which, where we're looking for this month of January to be a buy month and to, to uh, have a little correction after that, minuscule by comparison. But then in April, we, we're on record as saying uh, the next sell position will come in April, May, and it be, will be more severe than the 3 to 7% that we're looking for in the next four to six weeks. 
uh, in that in that event in April May, uh, we would be looking at something more like twenty three percent, twenty five percent down, and then of course after a bumpy summer and people wondering what's going to happen, uh, we're looking for a kind of a big smash in September October coming this fall, and I've talked with brokers and associates and analysts. At, at length here in the last two, three weeks, because I've told them right out loud, I, I can understand the first half, but the second half has got me exceedingly worried because uh, it could replicate the Lehman year. And as you remember, the Lehman year, um, be just before it hit, uh, we were doing, that was the best five months I ever had trading futures. I was up 223%. And then in the fall when Lehman hit, it crushed all our positions, and the main reason for that was stocks went down and people that had profitable positions like they did in gold and silver had to sell them, Jay, because they needed the money to cover the losses in the stocks. So mm-hmm. consequently, it was like a rolling stone, and it just fell down and across all the markets, and it created a major selling event. And I was lucky to get out of that year breaking even because I sold gold futures uh, the last two months of the year to regain where I started. But mm-hmm. early on, I, I was up 223%. I just lost it all. And mm-hmm. we could replicate that year. Uh, yeah. But what, what Ian's saying here on the dates, April and then September, October, those coincide exactly with mine. I know Chen's thinking more like 2013, and there's always a possibility that could happen because we've watched these guys kick the can down the road so many times. But... With QE2 uh, basically in, in play right now, possibly QE3 in quarter number, uh, quarter number two, and then another one perhaps in the fall, I think they're out of bullets. I think that's the end. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to say for sure, but I, I do have the sense also, Roger, that uh, just in looking at my own trading, my own account, that it's, it's been a one-way street. Now, we've had a correction in gold here for sure. Uh, and I want to ask you about that in a moment. But I get the sense, you know, that that everything is going up pretty much. And I mean, it's like money going into the system and things that shouldn't be going up. The bond market remains strong, even as commodity prices are rising, which seems to be an anomaly. It makes no sense. It's just like it's just like there's no there's no rhyme or reason to this. It's just money that's being pumped into the system, as Ian was suggesting, not finding its way into the real economy for the most part, making Wall Street rich, increasing the prices of commodities, which means that the common average people are going to have to pay more for their food, to drive their cars, to work, and do whatever they have to do, that it's going to really sort of take away the buying power even more of the average people. And for sure, the government is not honest about what the real cost of living is for Americans. I mean, you only have to look at what Food prices have gone up, education, health care, you name it, in the United States has gone up a lot more than the 1% or 2% or a half a percent or whatever baloney the the Labor Department numbers come out with. But uh, you you also talk a little bit about the confidence of the herd. I think you're right, Roger, if, if what you mean by that is that people in general look at CNBC they look at uh, Fox. They look at the, the major the major channels, the major news media, and they believe what people are telling them. We have a lot of confidence. Would you say? I mean, I'm listening to Bloomberg today. Uh, Tom Keen and others. These guys are all talking about how things are. You know, the fear has gone away. There seems to be confidence in the in the masses that 
that the remedies are working again, notwithstanding you know the stuff that Ian Gordon just talked about. But would you care to comment on that? Yes, the, I, I think that along that vein, I agree with that. I think that what's happened here is that the bad stuff has kind of stopped temporarily. It seems to be on hold. Consequently, uh, the fund managers and the people that are on Bloomberg and on CNBC uh, want stocks to continue to go higher, obviously, so they can do better. And in addition to that, there was a big announcement this morning, Jay, that uh, the big funds like Black Carlisle and and Blackstone and some of these other guys, BlackRock, um, they are coming with billions of, of new IPOs this quarter, next quarter, so that they can unload a lot of the stuff that they bought on the cheap after Lehman. In other words, when the Lehman event came, they went out there with their cash and they went bottom feeding and they were buying up assets on the cheap. Now what they want to do is they want to pump them up, sell the shares, and get out from under and that would go right along with what we're saying as far as a rising market between now and April. Mm-hmm. Well, where do we go um, if this scenario is, is correct? Uh, where do we go, um, and what should we be doing with our money right now? Should we be staying long in the equity market, uh, long in gold shares, long in what, uh, to, to take advantage of this, and then... And then how do we know for sure when we're going to get out, if we get out in time? Is it going to be April 1st, April Fool's Day, or is it going to be the end of April? When You know, it makes timing as everything, Roger. You're more of a trader than I am. You know this is true. What well, do you, we, we, what could you sell, we could sell pretty much with Elliott Wave and some of the technicals that we use, and so does Dr. McHugh. And we, can, we can't guess the dates perfectly, although Dr. McHugh and I have done it two or three times right to the day over a two- or three-month period, uh, believe me, that's just an accident when that happens. Nobody's that smart. But we think that uh, the April-May period is going to be the beginning of the danger part of it, and you'll be able to see it in the charts through uh, various technical indicators like a leavening of volume. You'll see it peak out and start to drop, even while uh, prices may be going higher. You'll be a, uh, see a shifting from one asset group to another, possibly from something that's more aggressive to something that's going to be perceived as more safe. While we've been going through um, some of these other problems recently, for example, with the euro, the Swiss franc has been going up like a rocket. And right now the Swiss franc is at 105.50, and not that long ago it was under the 1.00. Our call on it is to go to 108. So there's ways that you can see as this thing is about to crack and we would be we would rather make a mistake and be out too early than hang on too late because you can't get out from under a falling knife as you know yeah that's that's the tricky part of it isn't it and it's one of the reasons that you know yeah the buy and hold strategy is a difficult one and i guess you know if you go back to what the, probably not what you heard ian because you came on uh, you came on the show a little later, but Ian was talking about the Kondratiev cycles and when you know after the Kondratiev winter is over you and this long 70 period 70 year cycle you can go out and buy things extremely cheap and then the buy and hold strategy can work but you know when you're in market conditions like this it's more difficult but let me ask you a little bit in terms of the gold price uh and gold shares now i still believe that you can find junior gold mining companies that you can employ a buy and hold strategy with if you buy them if you buy value uh at, at extremely low levels uh, that said, you know, people like Chen Lin will go in and buy 
companies that are extremely low. They buy it. He buys it on the fundamentals primarily. But if he gets a double or a triple in short order, he might be out of there in six months because he's got other opportunities to look at that can give him a double or a triple, he believes, in the next few months. But uh, comment a little bit on the buy and hold uh, thing as, as it might pertain to uh, what I think we're in a secular bull market for gold right now. Would you just have a comment on that? Absolutely. I think it's going to stay that way probably for another six years minimum. That's my forecast. And to more immediate for the trading and investing right now, I think buy and hold is going to work all the way through April. I mean, that's four months, and it could extend even to five or six months. We just have to be careful. The point being, depending upon what you're holding, we can use senior shares call options for trading, which we've done already this year. You can also buy those and trade them because they have big volume. The intermediate companies, like the silver companies we've had this year that have done exceedingly well, are easier to trade. Our preference is to be more like you, Jay, in that I would, if I had my choice in the shares, I wouldn't trade more than once or twice a year. But with all this volatility and nonsense going in the in bonds, it forces us to be in a position where we have to be, trade more actively like Chen to take some profits when, in fact, we do see them. But yeah. in, this, in this first half of this year, I, I'm more bent toward the buy and hold all the way down till about April or so. While I do expect a correction in the next four to six weeks in stocks, um, a lot of the juniors, I think you'll be able to hang on and just hold your position and go right on through. Now, mm-hmm. on the other side of the coin, if you bought a junior at a price and now you're up 300% and we're looking at a correction in four to six weeks, then now you've got a decision to make. You want to take mm-hmm. your money now or do you want to hang on for more, even though you know it could come back on a sell-off? But- All right, Roger, we're going we're gonna to take a break here for a commercial and we're going to come right back. You and I will continue this discussion on the other side of the break. Don't go away, folks. I'll be right back with Roger Weekend. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love there. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have my partner, Roger Wiegand, back with me. A little extra time for Roger for a change to talk about his views of the market. And I should mention that Roger provides an excellent newsletter in which he provides uh, his views of the market and trading opportunities for his subscribers every single week. Uh, a lot of very, very interesting things in his newsletter. And you can uh, take a trial subscription to Roger's newsletter by calling uh, our office here in New York at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. It's $49 for a one-month trial to Trader Tracks. You can also go directly uh, to our website at miningstocks.com to do that. We also have uh, trial subscriptions uh, that is one-time only introductory subscriptions for Chen Lin for $39 a month and for yours truly's newsletter, my newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks for $59. That's a three-month trial. So uh, we hope that you'll take advantage of those. Check us out. Find out uh, if those letters are for you, if they provide good value for you, if they're helpful to you. and. Uh, in making your investment decisions, we think you should also, of course, consult professional people, um, you know, certified uh, financial analysts that can help you, uh, representatives, uh, people that are f- properly licensed to give you advice. We are giving you ideas uh, for trading, but then it's up to you to check them out and, and try to determine whether it makes sense. And it always makes sense to go to a professional for guidance on these things. Roger, when we went, uh, we started uh, talking about the confidence of the herd. You mentioned that you think people are really, uh, really starting to gain confidence again in the establishment and the policies that Bernanke's put into place and so forth. Uh, and with that confidence goes a decline, possibly, in the gold price. We saw today a decline of 40 or 50 bucks in the gold price. Uh, what's your target for gold? What do you think? Are, are, do we have a lot further to go on the downside for gold here? I really don't think so, Jay. It could drop a little more. I would say if it went down more and we have a worst-case situation, I would say that the low would probably be 1348-1350. Uh, the price on the Fed futures right now is 1380. So today we came off an open at 1414, and we dropped down to 1380. And I've mentioned it numerous times before that the higher the price of gold rises, the wider the trading range is because on a percentage basis, the ratio is going to spread it out. You and I can remember just a few years ago when a big move in gold was like two, three, four, five bucks. Now it can be twenty-five, forty, fifty dollars in one day, and today yeah. it was forty-two dollars and sixty cents. So I view it as nothing more than a normal trade. Mm-hmm. Um. What about silver? Well, you heard Ian, and Ian has really surprised me, honestly, although I, had, uh, I know that one of his good friends is Eric Sprott, and we had Eric Sprott as a guest on this show some weeks ago, and Eric explained why he was so super bullish on silver, even though he is extremely bullish on gold as well. And I was really, I, thought, I found it really interesting to hear Ian turn into such a silver bull because he had always 
in the old days when I first met up with him was was not all that constructive on silver. He thought that gold was the place to be. Uh, he talked about silver being more of an industrial metal and that didn't do that well during the 1930s. What are your charts, what are your projections telling you about silver at this time? Well, at this time, the March uh, futures are $29.80. And of late, I'm saying the last four to six weeks, I have noticed that on a basis comparing silver and gold, that the pressure on silver has been much more severe. And I think that Ian did make a very key point here. Gold has gotten so expensive that people that want to enter precious metals with limited capital, whether they want to buy physical coins or bars or whatever, uh, it seems that they can buy more if they do buy silver versus gold. Uh, I've got full confidence in both of them for, for years to come, but silver has got much faster, higher pressure on it right now for the time being, and we're looking at this year at a potential high of 48.50 to $50, which is the old high way back in the 79.81 escapade. So mm-hmm. uh, when that happens, Jay, if we touch $50, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's the end. It's all over. I better get out of silver. Uh, you know, it's going to drop significantly. Yes, there will be a correction at $50, I believe. But by the same token, uh, our forecast for silver in the year 2005 was $156 when we also did forecast gold at $2,960. Mm-hmm. So your forecast for gold then is what? $2,960. Twenty nine sixty by when? Uh, by probably the next couple of years, I would think. Yeah, so uh, one hundred fifty six. When we figured those, Jay, in two thousand five, um, we felt that that was the actual technical high that we would see at the top of the gold and silver market. Of course, as things have progressed and we've gone five years deeper into this uh, cycle, uh, twenty nine sixty now to me looks very cheap. One fifty six. Uh, sounds pretty lofty compared to where we are at 30 bucks, but uh, not really. I think you're going to see even higher than that. Well, you could be, and I, uh, if Ian were here again, still with us, we would ask him about his $4,000 target for gold and 1,000 on the Dow. Where do you see Roger the Dow potentially going? Uh, what does your Kondratiev uh, cycle work tell you? Well, it's uh, it's kind of in agreement with what Ian, because Ian and I and and Bob McHugh are using kind of the same things to figure out what's going to happen when. Um, we're looking for mild correction in April, a hard correction uh, in September, October this year. Following year, 2012, uh, we could actually uh, drop back to maybe four or 5,000 points this fall, and then the following year start to rise again. Keep in mind that in the 1930s, we had uh, three of these events um, that occurred from 29, there was another one in 33, 34, and there was another one in, in 1937. So, you know, three strikes and you're out. I view the Lehman thing maybe as, as round one, so mm-hmm. round two would be coming up, and that would be this fall, but that wouldn't necessarily be the worst of the stock market yet. I mean, this mm-hmm. could go on for another five, six, seven years. One thing I might suggest, and I think this is very important, On inflation, which we're expecting big time here in the next couple of years, you could very well see the Dow and the S&P go to new record highs. But if gold is at three or four thousand, what good are those record highs? You know, know, you've got a question of adjusting for inflation, Mm -hmm. you know, nominal versus real. And I think we're going to see that. 
Oh, exactly, Roger. And I keep telling people in terms of gold as well to think in terms of what will an ounce of gold buy, not nominal terms. But, you know, we saw gold gain huge amounts of value relative to everything else in the deflationary periods of uh, post Lehman Brothers. Well, that's just about all the time we've got, Roger. Unfortunately, thank you for spending more time with us. Folks, I'd really like to encourage you to try Roger's newsletter. Uh, we didn't have time to go over all of the markets, but he covers the major markets. I would talk to Roger more about the bond markets now because I think that is really the most important market right now. Are we in a bubble? Are we in a sovereign debt bubble? A lot of people think so. Even Bill Gross suggests that may be the case. So, you know, we, we have an awful lot of things to watch. I might also point out that while we hear a lot about doom and gloom on this show, let me just suggest that whenever there are adversities taking place, if you can recognize those adversities and prepare for them, you can be in a better position. You can be in a position actually to make your, uh, your financial situation better uh, than it was before. So, but, but it's all in recognizing the problems, understanding, properly diagnosing the problems so you can adjust to them and do what you have to do. That's really all the time we have. This week, next week, Doug Casey is our prime, he's going to be our main guest. Doug Casey, very well-known uh, newsletter writer for many years in the past. Uh, I'm, I can't wait to talk to Doug. He's going to be very exciting uh, talk with Doug next week. And closing, I want to thank uh, my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Columbia, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this show the most popular show on the Voice America Business Channel. And thanks again. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point.